As the kids are, are getting dismissed, I'd just like to again go to the Lord in prayer. Um, you can open up your Bibles with me to uh, 1 Timothy 2. I want to, we'll be looking at um, 1 to 7 this morning, but before kind of going into the text, I'd just like to seek the Lord again in prayer. Even just looking at the first two verses, I'm going to pray from that. Paul writes, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. And so I'd like to just use that uh, to guide us in prayer. If you want to just bow with me uh, as we seek the Lord in prayer. Oh God, what a, what a joy uh, it is to sing songs to your name. And I pray that those, the words that we sang would be pleasing to your ears. Oh God, and, and now just as before we open up your word, God, we, we seek you. We seek you um, for those in, in leadership in our city, or for the mayor, for the counselors, even for, for those on uh, school boards, RCMP. Oh God, we pray that you would be at work in their hearts and their lives, that you guide them to, to stand for what is true, uh, to protect our rights and freedoms. Lord, we pray you'd be at work in, in many of their hearts, drawing them to yourself, that they would know the truth of the gospel. Lord, also even just think provincially uh, for our, our government, God, that you would guide uh, light, righteous legislation. God, you would, uh, you would bring even our, our premier to uh, a place of saving faith in you, O oh Lord. But God, we, we pray you would guide our, our government uh, to a place that we could worship freely, that we could provide for our family, uh, an environment and a culture in which we could make your name known, oh Lord. I pray also uh, for those in, in Ottawa, oh God, I pray that truth would be known there. I pray that lies would be exposed. I pray you'd even have, have mercy on our, our prime minister, on his soul, oh Lord. He would see his need for Jesus Christ. He would bow the knee. Oh God, I just pray for our country, God, that you would revive the hearts of your people, even those who know you and call upon your name. God, as we, we turn to so many other places, we turn to you. God, we see our country, our culture going in so many places opposite of your truth and your way. Oh God, draw us back first as your people. But then I pray you'd use each one of us, wherever you have us, uh, to make your name known. Oh God, that the church, that you would encourage us here on a Sunday morning, but then we go out, and, and if it's times of peace and, and times where we are able to move freely, we would do so in order to make your name known. Oh Lord, in order to tell the, the truth of the gospel. So Lord, I pray for, for freedom and prosperity in Canada, but so your gospel can go forth. God, continue to raise up men and women of the church who love you, who love your word, who see lost and dying souls. I pray you do that in our church. I pray you do that in, in many others, all who would call on your name, all who would proclaim your gospel, O oh Lord. I pray you'd use this word uh, to stir us up in prayer, in, ev in evangelism. Oh, Lord, even some maybe here who, who do not know you, may they hear so clearly the gospel 
That Holy Spirit, you would just, you would open their hearts and their eyes and, and draw them to yourself, that they would trust in Jesus even today. Oh Lord, it's a spiritual battle. We're looking to you uh, to fight it. I pray for your help as we open your word this morning. Speak through me. Lord, may this be your word. And help us by your spirit to, to walk in it, to live it, to obey it. So I pray in your kindness to us, give us open ears and open hearts now. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to be uh, continuing our, our time in 1 Timothy. Be looking at, we're in chapter 2 now, looking at verses 1 to 7 here this morning in a moment. If you haven't turned there already, uh, please do so. And I've titled the, the, this message, First Things First. First Things First. I'm going to talk about why here in a moment. Uh, these days, I've been, um, I've been teaching my middle child, Judah, basketball. And uh, it's been a lot of fun uh, teaching kind of a, a bunch of kids U9 basketball. And what do we teach them? Well, you teach them the basics. You teach them the fundamentals. You teach them how to dribble, how to pass, how to shoot. And then you go over it again and again. And it's funny, just this past week, they're like, they're dying to play, right? Everybody just wants to play. And so we kind of gave them this opportunity to play. And literally, like, the ball bounces, and all the kids run in that direction. And one kid gets the ball, and everyone just swarms. And it's like a reminder, okay, I got to go back to the basics with them. I gotta, we got to keep nailing it down. And even as people get good at sports or whatever it is, it's doing the, the basics well. It's doing the first things first that actually gives you success, and so I think that's actually what we see here where Paul turns in this, in this gospel, or sorry, in this letter to Timothy, right? He first kind of began, he talked about immediately about the false teachers that were present within Ephesus, and he brought correction to that and said, hey, we need to be about the gospel, we need to be about the truth, we need to be about sound doctrine. And now, Paul, now Paul's kind of turning his address to like the church. And he's going to say, hey, what are like the most important things that we need to address right from the get-go? And I think we'd be wise to see, like, what does he point to? So now he's kind of now turning his attention to talk about, like, the gathering of God's people. And that's why I believe this is about four, first things first. So we're going to look at the text here now together. First uh, Timothy chapter 2, 1 to 7. If you want to stand with me as we read God's word. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is a testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. May God bless his word to our souls this morning. You can have a seat. 
So first things first. I want us to see as we look at verses 1 to 2, this call that Paul is making to the church to prayer for all. I hope you can, you'll see clearly, I hope as we unpack, prayer for all. This is what I want you to see. But notice, Paul begins this section, first of all. You're talking about the, maybe the most important things he wants to address, he's going to right now. This is where he's going. Again, he was already talking with Timothy about the false teachers, about the gospel, about his own testimony. Now he turns his attention to the church, first of all. And even in this section, in chapter 2, 3, and kind of ongoing, he's talking about matters within the church. In, uh, in 1 Timothy 3, 14 to 15, Paul writes this, I hope to come to you soon. But I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Paul's like, I'm writing these things to you so you know how you ought to operate. You know what you should be about. And again, right here at the start, what what is he going to say? First of all, what's he going to address? Well, first of all, he, he talks about prayer, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. He says, I, I urge you, this is, it's just not like, hey, maybe do it. It's a kind of a strong uh, direction. Paul has an authority as an apostle. I urge you to do this. You need to be about this. You need to be about these types of prayer. And there's four types of prayer listed And we're going to look at them briefly, but it's not so much the types of prayer. It's more like just almost like synonyms. Like there's there's prayer, and you can do it from many different ways. This is what you need to be about. It wasn't talking so much about so distinctly because some of these types of prayer kind of overlap with one another. If we look at um, even the first one, supplications. It's like an urgent request to meet a need. Like something like, man, I, I need to take this for the, for, for the Lord. I can't do anything on my own. Okay, you have supplications, prayers. That word prayers is just this general word used for all types of prayers. It's kind of all-encompassing. Intercessions, very similar to supplications, like a formal request put to uh, someone in power, obviously put to the King of Kings, to the Lord of Lords, and then lastly, thanksgiving. So we need to have like all those types of prayers within our prayer life as we're seeking the Lord in prayer, but I'm not going to make too much of a distinction because some of those actually overlap. Again, supplications, intercessions, these prayers. But Thanksgiving, interesting, Thanksgiving is continually listed as it talks about prayer. I don't, in your life, is it full of Thanksgiving? You know, it's not just that holiday that passed, but we, we talked about it it's like all the time. As, as believers, we should always be giving thanks to the Lord daily. In fact, so what, what does this tell us about the importance of prayer? Right? He's first of all, and this is what he begins with. I, I find that so interesting as I've been kind of preparing and thinking about it. First of all, he doesn't go to like, I, you need a really good program. <laughs> first of all, you need to reach people in this way, though the prayers he's talking about actually is about reaching people. He goes to prayer. First, the first thing Paul wants to talk to Timothy about in this section is about prayer. So it tells us the importance of prayer. And we're actually going to come back here again next week and really just sit on that topic. I'm going to be looking at just just verse 8 next week, kind of topically just going through and just unpacking prayer in our own life, prayer in the church. But it's of such importance. This is where Paul immediately goes to. 
And again, maybe what does this tell us about how we should pray is our prayers should be varied. There shouldn't just be like one thing we're praying for or one kind of way, but it should be supplications and entreaties and, and, and prayers and, and thanksgiving. There's all these kind of different types of prayers in which we present our requests before the Lord. So our prayers should be varied. But then it, it tells us like who should we pray for? It says all these prayers should be made for all people. I want you, I don't know if you underline your Bible, it's okay if you do. If you underline all people, you're going to see over and over again, there's this all coming, coming up and being highlighted. All people, not just a focus on myself, my family, our church, all people. You think, is it all people in the world? It, no, it's, it's not like praying for everyone and every person and every event, but I think it's praying for those things that you are aware of. And I'd say particularly, though, first you want to pray for those people who you can, around you can almost like, you can see and touch. And of course, we pray things for things that are happening globally, things that are happening in our country, but I think we even need more prayers for all people of those that we can actually do something to, that we can reach with. So think of all people, though. Who is in your life that you think, I shouldn't pray for them? They're included in all people. Just think about that, like the whole LGBTQ plus community, I don't know if you know anyone who's, who's in that community, you should be praying for them. Or if we just think maybe family members, I don't know if any, everyone has like a, fa- a certain family member who, uh, whether uncle, aunt, I don't know, whoever came to mind when I said a certain family member, you need to be praying for that person. They're, they're part of all people. Whether it, maybe it's a coworker you work with, like, oh, this person is so annoying, whatever. They're part of all people, whether it's a neighbor. So just, just think, when you're like, hey, we need to make these prayers, these requests, these entreaties, these supplications for all people. It's for the people that you know. Often when we think of like our prayers, like, okay, they're going to go overseas somewhere. We can pray for what's happening overseas. overseas But I believe first, all people is the people that are in our lives. And just think, is there anyone that would be included in all people that you're like, but but not that person? They would be included there. We need to be praying for them. And more than that, I I love what Paul says. So prayers be made for all people, the start of verse 2, and for kings and for all who are in high positions, for all who are in places of authority. And this is interesting. Think about the time that Timothy wrote this letter. John MacArthur writes this. The injunction here calls for the Ephesian assembly to pray for the emperor, who at that time was the cruel and vicious blasphemer Nero. Although he was a vile and debauched persecutor of the faith, they were still to pray for his redemption. They are still to pray that he would repent and believe in Jesus Christ. So just think about prayer... In our case, for kings and all who are in high positions, just think again locally for our mayor, for school boards, for RCMP, people in places of authority, then provincially, then federally. And this is something, prayers for like the governing people we see throughout the Old Testament. I'm just going to give you two examples. One will turn there. In the book of Ezra, uh, Ezra, the, the, the exiles were coming back. They're getting sent back from, uh, from the Medes and the Persians. 
And they were sent, and they were even actually financed from them as they went back to Jerusalem, and they're like, we're going to provide for your needs, these pagan kings, and then, and then as you sacrifice to your God, like, pray for us, pray for the king, pray for the government. And that's something that they, they were going to do in, in Jeremiah. I'm just going to turn there. You can turn there with me or just listen. Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29, this kind of written to people who already were exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon. They're in a foreign place, foreign leaders over them who didn't love or fear God. And Jeremiah says this to them, Jeremiah 29. I'll just start in verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. They may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Like you're going to be there for a while. Like plant some roots. In verse 7, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Pray for the city. Pray for the people who are in charge. Maybe some of you are like, hey, I, I was born here. I grew up here. I don't feel exiled. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is actually not our home. We're just kind of passing through. We're here for a moment. But while we're here, wherever here is, for us Red Deer or Central Alberta, we should be praying for those in charge. And what should we be praying for? We should be, first off, praying for their salvation of the people who, who come to mind. Praying that they would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that they would surrender their lives to the Lord. But also that they would rule well. They would rule with, with truth and justice. And I, I'm constantly praying these days, it's my own prayer, that truth would be known and lies would be exposed. That's my continued prayer for our government as well, that truth would be known, that lies would be exposed. But I would just have to ask you, like, just as you start to unpack who are you praying for, how big is your prayer list? Or do you, do you have one? I don't know about you, I don't have the best memory. Even learning people's names, I always have to keep writing them down, and then it's still a struggle. i got to write things down. And if there are things that like God's laid on my heart about people I need to pray for, I need to write it down, and I need reminders for that. I don't know about you. But if we see in the church, if we're called to pray for all these people, how are you remembering to do that? I would encourage you to have a prayer list. And again, don't like make it so it's like so big, and there's like page after page, and it's so intimidating, you don't get to it. But such to the extent that, like, I don't want to forget to pray for these people because the scripture tells me to. Because the Lord who wrote it says, pray for them. And again, what is the purpose of, of praying for these people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every day, in every way, peaceful, like tranquil, other translations say, and quiet life, kind of without turmoil. Romans 12, 18 says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceable with all. Like as much as it depends on believers, we need to try to live at peace with other people in a godly and dignified way, in a holy way, not obnoxious. Right? Godly, having a knowledge of combined with a proper outworking in our behavior and life. Live for the Lord. Live lives transformed by the Holy Spirit. We want to live godly lives. And again, godly lives will stick out. 
And actually, unfortunately, I'll just let you know this. It says in 2 Timothy 3.12, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So there is this promise also, even as we're praying for, for peace and for tranquility, that we'll be able to live a godly uh, life, we, there's also a cost for that godliness. But I want you to see his prayers for people. It's not just so, hey, we can just go and do our own thing and live the Canadian dream. The purpose of praying for all these people so we can live like this and so we can be a witness for Jesus Christ. This is, this is where Paul is going with this. Though, of course, we want to be able to provide for our family. We want to enjoy the fruits of our labor. I think that's right to pray for freedoms to be able to do that. William Mounts says this, a commentator, in both 1 Timothy and 1 Thessalonians, where he says something similar, Paul has the same consideration in mind, a good reputation outside the church. This also accords with Paul's concern throughout the pastoral epistles, that's 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, that the church not suffer unnecessary reproach. A Christian's life is not to be quiet of speech, but it should be quiet in nature, a tranquility stemming from a godly and reverent life. It's not like quiet, like don't say anything to anyone, but it's like live at peace with people, live a godly life, like live for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's going to be distinct. And then in doing so, as you're praying for all people, we're going to look where Paul takes us. We want to be sharing the truth of God's word with all people. But I hope you can see that this pray for all, you can underline all, Highlight all, pray for all. And then who is that all in your life? But as I, I kind of just hinted at in verses three to four, kind of Paul continues on, so pray for all. Verses three to four, I want us to see for, for all to know the truth. So we're praying for all, but what are we praying for? And the other reason, for all to know the truth. I believe this is where Paul takes us. Look in verse three with me. He says this, this is good, and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. This is good. This is pleasing to God. What, what's, what is good? These prayers for all people. Like, this is good. So many things are okay, all right, whatever. I don't know things we have in our life. Like, ah, it's okay. We see in Scripture, the inspired word of God, this is good. Anytime you see something like this is good for the Lord, that's something we should want to be about. If this is good to have prayers for all people, then that is something we should be running towards, we should take note of, we should run after. Paul says this is good, it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Even this language that it's good, that it's pleasing Paul's actually using kind of Old Testament language that was used about the sacrifice, that it was pleasing to God, or other translations, acceptable to God. Now he's using it as prayer. And so just, it, I just want to point out a few places where Paul also uses this language. In, in Philippians 4.18, Paul talks about the gifts he's received from the Philippians. He says, I'm well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God, or, or acceptable and pleasing. So there's both of those words together. So our prayers are like what they used to offer in the Old Testament up to the Lord. 
This is pleasing. This is acceptable to God. It's acceptable in the sight of God. I don't want you like, man, I want to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord. So when I say, like, this is good, I want to obey that. I want to be about that. This is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. We don't often think of, of God the Father being our Savior, but Christ the Son, but thinking God the Father is our Savior in the sense that he's the one who plans salvation. He's the architect of it. And he is also our Savior. Paul continues there in verse 4. This is good. It's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Just again, if you, if you write in your Bible, it's okay to do that. <laughs> you, again, highlight all people. Like Paul's just really trying to get this point across. God's desire is for all people to come to the knowledge of the truth. Commentator Robert Yarborough says this, when speaking about all people, it's that God's saving promise fulfilled in Christ is not just for this or that people group, but for all peoples, Jews and Gentiles and other, any other people that could be named. I think there's also an aspect, if you were with us earlier as we went through chapter one, there's this false teaching within the church where there's these people and they're taking people into the Old Testament and talking about Jewish myths and genealogies, and there's like this secret teaching that only some people had access to. Only like maybe the selected few. And Paul's actually also railing against that. No, no, this message is for everyone. It's not just for that, that special close-knit group. But do you see that, that God our Savior desires all people to be saved? God's, is that God's desire? Is that God's heart? Just want to take you to, um, in the Old Testament, Ezekiel. I believe it is. There's many places we could go to, but in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel 18, looking at verse 23. And maybe just showing you that the God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. We see God's heart. In the Old Testament, it's the same in the New Testament because God's eternal. He does not change. But Ezekiel 18, verse 23, it says this. God says this. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God? Not rather that he should turn from his way and live? That's God's heart, that people would repent and turn. At the end of, of chapter 18, for I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. This, this, this offering, this desire that people would, would turn from their sins, turn from their wicked ways. Again, if we see, like, if this is God's desire, that all people would turn and be saved, God's desire that lost people would come and be found in him, I'm, I'm like, I want that desire. And often, I don't know about you, man, I get, can get so fixated on my own thing. So I, as I read this, as I'm preparing, I'm like praying, Lord, give me that desire. Give me your desire. I want the desires of God's heart. And one of that we see here is that all people would be changed. And it says what? All people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. This is interesting. Come to the knowledge of the truth. Paul uses the same phrase in Titus 1 verse 1 the beginning of that letter. 
And he says this, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. There's a knowledge of the truth that one believes and is saved. There's a knowledge of the truth, and we're going to talk about what that is. Obviously, Jesus Christ, the work that he did on the cross, but there's a knowledge of truth we need, and then we need, in order to be saved, we need to believe it. But many people can have the knowledge of the truth, but not have faith, not believe. We see this actually in, in Hebrews 10, 26 to 27, just as it as an example of some people who had the knowledge of the truth but weren't saved. It says this in Hebrews 10, 26 to 27, if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. They have the knowledge of the truth, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. So having the knowledge of the truth but then believing By trusting, it's not just like, yeah, yeah, I know this list of facts, but I'm also taking that into my own life. I'm believing in Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, he died, but belief is like, I have that truth, and he died for me, and he died for my sins. But I want you to see that we actually need a knowledge of the truth, And, and just how do you get that? You need to know something in order to believe. So you're just thinking, for those in school, how do you gain the knowledge? Do you, if you get a, like a school textbook and you just take it home and you put it underneath your bed, osmosis, it just like eventually you're going to learn what's in there if you just hold it close. You've got to open it up. You've got to read. You've got to study. A teacher's going to teach you, pass on the knowledge. If someone's in, in trades and they're studying something, they just go and stand in the garage. Maybe, maybe it's an automotive class. They just stand there. I'm going to get knowledge. I'm here. No, you got to go start learning. Someone's going to teach you. You're going to get your hands on something. So there's like the knowledge must be passed on, the knowledge of the truth. Someone needs to teach it to you. Someone needs to tell you about it, right? You don't just get it. You're not just like just, just present. you just out for a walk one day and you get it. No, we need the knowledge of the truth. I'm thinking of like in Romans chapter, uh, chapter 10, It says this, Romans 10, verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We're like, amen. Verse 14, how then will they call on him and who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they've never heard? Right? If, if someone needs a knowledge of the truth in order to be saved, they need to hear about the knowledge of the truth. Or, or read, if, if put a Bible in their hand. And verse 17, Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So just thinking about that, the first part, Paul's calling, pray for all to know the truth. And then the second aspect, I'd say, and then tell them the truth. So you have your people on your prayer list who are the all people. You're praying for them. You're praying for them to come to a knowledge of the truth. And then you're looking for opportunities to tell them about the truth, that they would have the knowledge of the truth and be saved. So I hope you're you're seeing again, I think it's, it's meant to be very wide, it's meant to be very broad. Pray for all people, that all people might come to the knowledge of the truth. And then now we're going to continue to flesh out 
Well, what, what is that truth? Paul continues on, follow his thought here. Look at verses five to six with me. The truth, one way through one man, Christ Jesus. And as I go through, like think about how broad it is. Pray for all people, that all people would know the truth. What's the truth? One way through one man, Christ Jesus. It gets very narrow, very fast. Look at verse 5 with me. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. There's one God. Deuteronomy 6, 4, uh, any good a Jewish child would learn the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. It's one God. Opposed to so many other cultures, polytheistic, like there's so many different gods all competing against one another, right? Our, our culture still wants to kind of have that put upon us, like, oh, yeah, yeah, there's so many different ways to understand religion and think through God. There's so many different uh, people who you could worship, but the God of the Bible, there's one God. And we know as if you have been any time in church, one God in three persons, there's God the Father, there's God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But it's highlighted here, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men. And of course, when it says men, it's like all people, man and woman, mankind. There's one God, there's one mediator between us and God. A mediator, someone who would maybe bring a, a, a transaction or a deal between two parties. Like maybe the two parties, they, they just can't seem to find an agreement, so a mediator's brought in to help figure that out. But if you think of this understanding of mediator, like why is mediation needed? It's because we are not right with God. It has nothing to do on God's side, that God can't get it figured out. It's because of us and because of sin. It breaks the relationship between us and God the Father. And you think about this, like, why do we need a mediator? We are not like God. God is far above us. How are we to deal with him? Again, we have sin, we have wrongdoing. It separates us from him. We need help. We need a mediator. The man, Christ Jesus. Again, you think all people... Pray for all people. All people that come to knowledge of truth. There's one God. There's one man. Christ Jesus. What's really highlighted here is Jesus' humanity. Jesus' humanity. In Hebrews 4.15, it speaks of Jesus' humanity. Hebrews 4.15, it says this, For we do not have a high priest, one to represent us before God, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Jesus, in his humanity, was tempted in every way, yet he didn't sin, he was perfect. And you think, well, why does he need to be human? This is highlighted as we get to Christmas time in the virgin birth. Jesus is, he's born a human, yet divine. But Jesus had to be a man if he was to represent fallen humanity. 
He had to be a man. If he's going to be a mediator for us to represent fallen humanity, Jesus had to be a man. If he was to re reverse the curse that Adam, the first man, brought into the world, Romans 5, 17 would, would speak to that. Jesus had to be a man. And of course, even highlighted though in his name, even as it highlights his humanity, the one man, Christ Jesus, there's still his name, Christ, the anointed one of God, the Messiah, the one who fulfilled all the prophecies in the Old Testament. But again, I want you to see again, it goes from very broad to very narrow through one. I quoted last week, John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the light, and no one comes to the Father except through me. He also said this in, in Matthew eleven twenty seven. Jesus said this, Matthew eleven twenty seven. all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. One mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Again, it's, it's, it's the only way. It's not through religion. It's not through getting, say, baptized as an infant, faithfully attending church. It's not, hey, just reading the Bible all the time to be made right with God, giving to the church. It's through one man, Christ Jesus. It's not through other men. It's not through priests. It's not through pastors. It's not through saints who have passed before us. It's not through Mary. It's through one man, Christ Jesus. Right? This is how we can have a peaceful life here on earth is peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And again, how is that possible? Why is he the mediator? Well, look at verse 6 with me. He is the mediator, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. He gave himself as a ransom for all. Think about the price required to redeem something or someone. We don't maybe think about that much in our day and age, but say someone, they got into a tough bind financially, and maybe they owned a they owed million dollars, and then they sold themselves into slavery to pay off the debt, which would happen in, in the ancient times, still could happen in today's ages, different parts of the world. So say that a million dollars, and now there's someone's slave, and they paid off their debt, but now there's someone's slave. And so someone comes along, maybe a, a wealthy family member, and says, but I don't want this person as a slave. I want to get them out of that. Well, you got to pay a million dollars. That's the price to redeem them. That's their ransom. And so someone pays the amount and takes them out of that slavery. Just think about that. He is the ransom for all. We see this in in the Gospels, Mark 10, 45, Jesus said this, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Commentator Robert Yarborough says this, basically Paul chooses here to view Jesus' saving act as an exchange. He gave one thing, himself, in exchange for something else, a transformed situation for all people. His death was costly and a complete self-sacrifice. And what is, what is he doing? What does that mean? He ransomed himself. I just want to look at what 1 Peter has to say, what Peter writes in his letter, 1 Peter. 1 Peter 3.18, it says this, 
Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. The righteous for the unrighteous. In 1 Peter 1, verse 18, think of of Jesus being the ransom for us. It says this, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. There wasn't a price of money that you were ransomed with, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Think about that's what Jesus did on the cross. He paid for our sins. He paid for our wrongdoing, and we're forgiven by what he did. But he also, he purchased us with his blood. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been ransomed. You're like, yes, I'm believing in him. I'm trusting in him. And if you've been ransomed, then you are Jesus Christ and your life is not your own. And I think that's actually a beautiful thing. You think like, man, I'm not the one in charge of my life. God is. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and actually he decides who I am and what I'm to be about. So I think that's something we can actually rest in. If, we, if you have been ransomed, if you have put your faith and trust in him. Just want to pause here for a, a moment. It says he gave himself as a ransom for all. And just thinking like all, all? <laughs> I just want to help give clarity here. So why are not all people saved? Why are not all people saved? I think, first off, all would be for all who would receive it. All would be for the elect. All would be for the church, as in those who are saved, have his spirit in him. I love what MacArthur says here, speaking of Jesus' ransom, his work on the cross. He says this, it is Sufficient for all. Jesus' death on the cross, it is sufficient for all. But it's efficacious. It's only effective for the elect only. Christ's atonement is therefore unlimited to its sufficiency. The perfect Holy One on the cross could pay for all. It's sufficient, but it's limited as to its application for those who believe, for those who are ransomed. And if we're wrestling, we're like, but it says he ransomed for all. And we want to pull in other texts throughout Scripture to kind of understand what's being said here and just bring you to a, a few places that we could go to many. Isaiah 53, 11. And friends, if you want to just be encouraged, take time this afternoon, make a coffee, read Isaiah 53. It's the the gospel, so clearly. Isaiah 53, looking at verse 11, says this, out of the anguish of his soul, speaking of Jesus, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, speaking of Jesus, Make many, many to be accounted righteous. He shall bear their iniquities. Again, that word many, I want you to see. This is highlighted over and over again. In Matthew 26, verse 28. 
We're going to read later on as we take the Lord's Supper. This is when it was instituted. Matthew 26, 28. Looking at verse 27, Jesus, and he took a cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, many for the forgiveness of sins. And it's going to take you to one more place, 1 Corinthians 9, 22. And again, there, we could spend all our time here, but I just think it's, it needs to be addressed. 1 Corinthians 9, 22 is Paul. Paul's heart, we can see, pray for all, reach all with the gospel. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 9, 22, to the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. It's not that, that, that all will be saved. We know that's not the case. And so as we're, as we're wrestling through that, I want to say, the person who believes, that's in God's hands. But what's for us is to share with all people that we can. Whoever is in our life, we need to share with them the knowledge of the truth about Jesus Christ. Whoever is crossing our paths, we need to share. God is one who is in charge, opening people's hearts, opening their eyes. But our job is to share with everyone we can, while we can. And so even as we wrestle through these things in the text, we see God's heart, God's desire should be ours. We need to share with everyone the knowledge of the gospel. So I hope you can see Paul's heartbeat here. I pray it would be ours, prayer for all, for all to know the truth. And what is the truth? One way through one man, Christ Jesus, goes very broad, very narrow, one man. There's one way, through faith in Jesus Christ. Again, I, I would pray for anyone who's here today who, who is trusting other ways, who's trusting religion or their own self-righteousness, their own good, good deeds or good works, that you would trust in Jesus. He is the only way to be made right with God the Father. Through faith and trust in him. I just wanted to, to note, if, if that is true, that we pray for all, for all to know the truth, and the truth is one way through one man, Christ Jesus. As we look at verse 7, I would just conclude that the primary ministry of the church needs to be to preach and teach the truth. Right? If we're praying for everyone, that they would know the truth, and we want to try to proclaim the truth, then as a church, we need to be teaching the knowledge of the truth. This is going to be a bit of a, a minor point. It's like it's a major point within 1 Timothy, so we're going to keep touching on it over and over again. But look, what does he say? For this, I was appointed a preacher and apostle. Like this message, this calling, this ministry, that's why I was called. We looked at it earlier, Paul's calling. He was a persecutor of the church. He was grabbing Christians and throwing them in jail, and God called him. God appointed him. He has a ministry for him. He had a message for him. We saw there in 115, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the foremost. He was appointed to declare that message. 
Even as he says here, I am telling the truth, I'm not lying. I think this is more addressed to those false teachers, those people who are maybe trying to come against Paul and Timothy. But we know Paul's mission, Paul's calling. We see here he was called to be a preacher. Or other translations, a herald. Herald I don't know. <laughs> but what, what that means is, is someone whose the message is not their own. Like someone who is to be herald, a message. Say in, in times you couldn't like, hey, put it on the news, send an email, send a text. It's like maybe the king has a message. So he sends a guy. He's the herald. And he goes and maybe in, in like, I don't know, 1,000 where they had trumpets and blew a trumpet and called everyone into the town square. I have a message from the king. And then they would proclaim it. That's heralding. That's actually preaching. That's why we were like, we're just opening up the Bible. I want you to tell what the Bible says and I want to proclaim it. I want you to tell you this isn't my message. This is God's word. That's what Paul was called to. I think that's what we're called to. He was called to preaching and teaching. His message was the truth. Right? Timothy was to carry this on. We saw in 1 Timothy 4.13, he says to Timothy, until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. Preaching and teaching. You think the Great Commission, Matthew 28, Jesus says to his disciples and sends them out, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you till the end of the age. How, how are we supposed to know what we're supposed to follow as disciples? We need to teach. We need to teach everything that Jesus commanded. What's the difference between preaching and teaching? I think it can be the audience. It can be the purpose in which you're sharing the message. But I hope you can see, is this not the primary ministry of the church? Pray for all that all would know the truth. Tell all the truth, the truth one way through one man, Christ Jesus, and then proclaim the truth. Like this is our message. This even as we gather together, we're talking about what is the truth? How do we live it out? What does it mean in today's age? How do we grow in our understanding of who God is, of who we are, of what Christ Jesus has done on the cross, praying the Holy Spirit would apply it to our hearts, that he'd change us from the inside out? Just think of preaching and teaching, like we get together and we open God's word together. In our kids' ministry, we want to tell them truths about who Jesus is, what he did on the cross. Truth about who God is, who they are. You, even you think just our, our youth ministry, going through the, the gospel of John. Like we're, we're not just, and still having community, still getting together. In our small groups, we're getting together, we're opening up the word. Praying for one another. How do we live this out? How do we apply it? I think it's so clear. I pray this message is so clear, but I pray by God's spirit we can live it out. May God make us faithful. He desires to, he wants to. And may we as a church be able to continue to keep the first things first. 
If you want to bow with me, I'd like to close this word in prayer. <laughs> oh, Lord, I pray uh, that which is from you seal in our hearts. Lord, I pray anything that I, I said or went to greater detail does not line up with your truth. Lord, may we forget. But Lord, help us by your spirit to live it out. The people that have come to mind, the people we think are too far away from, from you, Lord, that you could save them. Bring them to mind again that we pray for them. And I pray for each one of us, the places you have us, that we'd be able to share the truth, to make your name known. Oh, Lord, continue to do this work in our lives, Lord, as, we, as you give us such great clarity of what we are to be about as a church. Help us to be obedient to that. And just pray we continue to get to know who you are in greater increasing measure. Oh, Lord, and then make your name known wherever you'd have us. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, I'd like to turn our attention to taking of the Lord's Supper, taking of communion. We're doing this to remember what Jesus did on the cross for us, remembering his sacrifice, remembering the ransom paid, his blood shed for our sins. We're to take and to remember it is a finished work that we are trusting in. We only bring our sins to the table. But it is finished on the cross. And that's why we're forgiven. That's why we can have peace with God because of what Jesus did. So that's, we're called to remembrance. Again, this, this, the Lord's Supper it is for believers. It is for those who have trusted in Jesus Christ, who have the spirit of God within them. And if that is not you, if you have yet to trust in the Lord for salvation, I pray that you would uh, not partake with us today. Of course, I, I'm praying for you that you would believe, that you would trust, come to saving faith in him. As Trina uh, begins to uh, play piano, I just ask that you take a moment, we search our hearts, Ask God to search our hearts. Confess, is there any sin you need to bring between you and the Lord? You just ask for forgiveness. Because of what Jesus has done, we can be forgiven. And then in a, in a moment, I want everyone to come forward. Everyone grab a cup and just wait as we return to our, our seats and wait, and we'll, we'll take together. But the thing is, you confess, he forgives. We can come forward with joy, knowing we have peace with God. So let's take a moment to pray. We'll grab the cups and we'll take together here in a moment.